Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right. Hey, we're in Revelation chapter 18. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, we have some right in the back there. Please help yourself, or you can even wave and we'll throw one at you and I'll get one to you. All right. So the very first thing that we see in Revelation chapter 18, the very first three words in this chapter is after these things. We've seen this earlier in our study in the book of Revelation. In fact, in chapter 4, we've just gone through the, the, the church age, the things that are um, in chapters 2 and 3. And then it says at the beginning of chapter 4, after these things, it's the Greek word metatauta. And what was it after what things? After the church age in chapter 4, starting with chapter 4, describes John. It's a picture of the church being up in heaven at that point in the book of Revelation. And so we see this here in chapter 18, after these things. And so we naturally would ask the question, after what things? Well, I personally believe that it's after the destruction of religious Babylon that's described in Revelation chapter 17. And I know some people don't agree with that, um, but I'll just give you my take. I'm not an expert, but uh, this is my take on it. So the destruction of religious Babylon in chapter 17, I believe it takes place at the end of the first uh, three and a half years of the tribulation. Uh, because up until that point, the first three and a half years, or the, the, you know, that first period of the tribulation, the Antichrist is using the one world government, or excuse me, one world religion that's, that will be in power there to gain power. It's his, it's his vehicle for access to, to getting the power that he's going to have. And at the start of the second half of the Great Tribulation, he no longer needs the great harlot, as as she described in in chapter 17. He no longer needs the one world religion. And that's prophesied in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 and 37 says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. At that point in the tribulation, he's going to break the treaty with Israel. He's going to go into the temple, and the Bible calls it, uh, describes it, I think it's in Daniel 2, the abomination that causes desolation. That's when Antichrist gets into the temple and says, I'm God, worship me. He no longer needs the harlot. He no longer needs that one world religion. Now he's, the, he's it, basically. Um, you can also find that in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, the description of that. And so spiritual Babylon in, verse, in chapter 17 will be treated just as she is, a harlot, used and then discarded. The ten kings under the authority of the Antichrist that destroy the harlot in chapter 17, you notice that they don't weep over the destruction of the great harlot, over spiritual Babylon. However, when we get to chapter 18 this morning, the kings of the earth who committed spiritual fornication with political and economic Babylon in chapter 18, they will weep and lament over her destruction. So to me, it appears that there's two separate destructions at two separate periods of time. Again, that's my take. 
Uh, so spiritual Babylon, the religion of man, basically chapter 17, and commercial, political Babylon, even what I would even call the materialistic system of man, chapter 18. So let's take a look at that, verse 1 of chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every uh, unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury." So those first three and a half years of the tribulation, there will be a one world religion at this point. And what's fascinating about that is that if you think about it, somehow it is going to include the Muslims. If it's a one world religion, the Muslims will be part of it in some way, in some form, which is the repercussions of that are amazing when you think about it. Because without... Uh, with the Muslims being part of this one world religion, uh, terrorism is going to finally be solved. The Antichrist is going to have a solution. You know, up until now, it's like, it's just it's an ongoing battle with terrorism, right? The Antichrist will have a solution, and there'll finally be, terrorism will be ended at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. The world's going to experience incredible peace that it's never experienced up until this point in history. Israel will have a treaty with her Muslim neighbors all around her, something that's never happened either. Not only that, but there will be finally a third temple in Jerusalem. All these things have been prophesied. Of course, true believers will have been raptured from all denominations at this point. And so all that's going to be left is a religious shell, just the religiosity, the, 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 the traditions of man. That's all that's going to be left. Also, during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there's going to be one world economic system, which means, if you think about it, there's not going to be any currency or trade wars anymore. All global markets are going to be open for business. I mean, you know, I remember when China finally opened up for business. I worked for a corporation, and they were salivating at China because it was this large, untapped population of consumers, so just think about it. When there's one world government, one world economic system, no barriers now to trade, how much more money people are going to make during the, great, or during the tribulation. The merchants, uh, you know, all, everyone's going to be open for business, basically. The merchants of the earth will become wealthy. There will be unprecedented wealth that the world has never experienced prior to this time. I read this article. It's from Business Insider. And it says this, since 2016, the world has seen a new crop of 2.3 million people reach a net worth with six zeros. In other words, millionaires. So since 2016, 2.3 more millionaires are out there in the population. According to Credit Suisse uh, New Global Wealth Report in 2017, there are now 36 million millionaires in the world. A 170% jump in total numbers from the year 2000. Together, these millionaires hold as much wealth as 46% of the population. 
In 2013, the bank published a report speculating that 20% of the world's population could be millionaires within two generations. In other words, sometime before 2073, as of the report's writing, there could be a billion millionaires walking the earth. The rapid influx of new wealth could even create the first trillionaire within a couple decades, according to a recent Oxfam report. There were 793 billionaires worldwide in 2009. Added up, their net worths totaled $2.4 trillion. By 2016, the richest 793 people maintained net worths of $5 trillion, an annual growth of 11%. And it goes on to say this, If these returns continue, the report stated, it is quite possible that we could see the world's first trillionaire within 25 years. That's not even taking into effect that one world government and all the the ramifications of that that would occur. So there's going to be an unprecedented amount of wealth during that first three and a half years of the tribulation. And yet, despite all the wealth despite all the peace and the prosperity, it says here, Babylon has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Even today, there's a demonic influence behind this world system, even today. But it's going to be on a much greater magnitude during the tribulation. You know, you think about it. Right now, there are born-again millionaires. I don't know if there's any born-again billionaires. I guess Donald Trump supposedly is. President Trump, I should say. But, you know, uh, right now, there are Christian businessmen running companies in a godly way. You think of uh, uh, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. I don't know how wealthy he is. But, you know, he's running his corporation in a God-fearing way. And there's many more people. But think about it. At this time in history, the church will have been raptured. So there's not going to be any godly Christian men at this point. Any businessmen who become believers after the rapture, they're not going to be able to survive in the one world economic system. In fact, the minute that people find out they're Christians, they'll probably be martyred for their faith, as the Bible says. So at this point in the great tribulation, or in the tribulation, the demonic influence, there'll be no hindrances at this point. There's no Christians to, you know, to, to you know, the, the influence of Christians in the world that will be gone at this point. And it says that Babylon has become a cage for every unclean and hated bird. This is kind of significant. Remember in the parable of the seeds and the sower that Jesus told. Remember the birds, the, the sower you know, sowed his seeds and some fell on the soil, some fell on rocky ground, some fell on the wayside. And the birds of the air ate the seeds that fell by the wayside. And later on, after the parable, Jesus explained to his disciples that the birds in the parable represent Satan. He comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. The birds, the unclean birds. Remember the parable. Shortly after that, Jesus told another parable. The kingdom of God could be compared to a mustard seed. Remember that? The little, the smallest of all seeds. And yet it grows into this tremendous tree. It's so large that the birds of the air nest in its branches. And we go, wow, that's mustard seed faith. 
But that's really not what, the, what it's talking about. It's talking about an abnormal growth of the church because mustard plants don't become tall trees. And so we have these birds that are nesting in the, in the, in the, bir- in the trees. And it, it, Jesus was foretelling the coming of false teachers, the coming of those that would be unsafe people with evil motives. When, when Teresa and I first uh, were married and we, we moved back to California and we got involved in a Calvary Chapel, actually, in, in San Jose, and uh, there was this one guy, and he was just a really friendly guy, and just, I just assumed he was a believer, man. He loved the Lord. It just had that impression. And uh, he invited, he said, hey, i got another buddy. Can we come over to your house? I'm like, yeah, sure. Well, they came over, and it, after a while, and I was naive, I fell for it, but after a while, it, it dawned on me. It was just a networking ploy. The guy just wanted me to get involved with his business. That's all that it was about. I don't even know if he was saved at all. It was just a money-making thing. And so, you know, these, these birds of the air, they're going to nest in its branches. So the birds represent evil, wickedness. And um, just for your, just, you know, some, some people... You know, if you claim the name of Christ, they go, wow, you're a believer. They just accept you. But just because someone claims the name of Jesus Christ and they attend church, it doesn't mean that they're a follower of Christ. It doesn't mean that their hearts have been transformed. You'll know them by their fruit. So verse 4, he says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. I want to make a disclaimer here. This message, it's not an Occupy Wall Street prep talk, okay? It's not an anti-wealth message, chapter 18. It's not an anti-profit message. Maybe an anti-false prophet, but not an anti-profit, you know, from financial profit. It's not even an anti-having nice possessions message. Because I could really, I could lay a guilt trip on all of us really easily right now if I wanted to, you know. But that's not what this message is about. In fact, we know from the Old Testament that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, probably Joseph, certainly Solomon, those, were, those men were fabulously, famously wealthy. Because God blesses some with wealth and prosperity. Why? So that they can in turn bless others. A responsibility is given with wealth. Jesus said, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. So this isn't an anti, you know, if you're, you're godly, if you're poor. That's not what this message is. But we're never to hoard our money, our possessions, our wealth. We're never to hoard it and we're never to, to try to insulate ourselves from financial difficulties. Because Jesus told another parable. Remember the parable Jesus told about the man who, who his crops were so great he started building larger barns to collect more of his grain and, and, uh, and silos. And, and uh, he said, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's what the man said. Jesus said, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? The angel here says, come out of her, my people. Or it might be even God saying it, or Jesus saying that, I should say. But come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. Don't share in her sins. Sins are we talking about? Greed, selfish greed, 
Not being led by the Holy Spirit, but being led by the bottom line. Trusting in wealth rather than trusting in Christ Jesus. Sacrificing your soul for financial gain. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So don't share in the sins of economic Babylon. Also, don't share in her plagues. Now, he's speaking to the people that are on the earth during this time, and so he's probably literally speaking about the bold judgments. In fact, the seventh one in particular that we saw in chapter 16. But to any generation, the vanity and emptiness of the pursuit of wealth and materialism, because it's all going to burn. Jesus called the man in the parable of the barns and the silos a fool, and he finishes the parable saying, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 5 For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. I think the Holy Spirit's doing a little play on words here. That word reached. It means to join one another in a mass. It's like stacking things on top of each other, building this mass. Her sins are they're accumulating. It's, it's almost like they're putting a, a brick on top of a brick on top of a brick, which reminds us of the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel, which was the original city where Babylon, you know, that's the source of Babylon, basically. The Tower of Babel, where they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Well, Babylon's sins, like bricks, are stacking up and reaching heaven. You think of all the injustice that goes along with greed and, and that, that lust for wealth and, and financial gain and materialism, all the cheating, all the stealing, the pride, the indifference to the suffering of people around you. Uh, the idolatry of this world system, it's going to reach a climax at the Great Tribulation or during the Great Tribulation. And, you know, there's an important thing for us to remember. God doesn't judge time chronologically. Chronologically. <laughs> chronologically, there you go, thank you. <laughs> but morally. That's what, how God measures time, morally. Thank you. Babylon's sins will be remembered. You know, when I read this, that kind of gives me a little bit of a shudder. But on the other sense, it kind of gives me like, thank you, Lord Jesus. Because the Bible says that he doesn't remember our sins anymore. If you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, your sins, when we repent of our sins, we put our trust in Jesus. He does not remember our sins. I love Isaiah 1.18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Micah chapter 7 verse 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. That's what you and I enjoy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 6, Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. 
For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Again, the level of prosperity in that first three and a half years of the tribulation will be such as the world has never seen before the tribulation. Everything is going so well. Nothing could possibly derail uh, this new economic system. It's like nothing can stop us. We finally, we finally figured it out. We're, we're God. You know, I mean, that'll be the, the cry of mankind. It's interesting that there are similarities of the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament and the destruction of the city of Babylon at the end of the Great Tribulation. Because if you recall, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire. Same with Babylon here. Also, the call for God's people to depart the system before the judgment falls. You see that in verse 4. That's, recall when the angels came to Lot and his wife and his daughters and said, you got, we can't do anything until you're out of here. And it's also the pride the affluenza, that's a new word, right? Affluenza in pride of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's an interesting passage in Ezekiel that talks about the sin or the source of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Ezekiel 16, verse 49 and 50, it says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and an abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. That was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It started with pride, fullness of food. They they wanted for nothing. They lacked for nothing, and an abundance of idleness. And of course, they, they neglected the poor and the needy around them, and they became prideful. That's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the sin of Babylon as well. Like Laodicea, her wealth brought a false sense of security. Remember back in chapter 3 of Genesis when the Lord Jesus is speaking to Laodicea, says, I am rich. This is Laodicea speaking, the Laodiceans. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Look at the swiftness of her judgment. It's repeated four different ways, four different verses. In verse 8, her plagues will come in one day. Verse 10, for in one hour your judgment has come. Verse 17, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. And verse 19, for in one hour she is made desolate. The suddenness of the destruction, repeated four times. There's three groups of people that are going to mourn over her destruction. The first group is the kings of the earth. Look at verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. 
crying out there, that great city Babylon, that mighty city destroyed in one hour. There are prophecies of the destruction of Babylon in the Old Testament. Past prophecies in the Old Testament prophesy that uh, Babylon would be completely destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, never to be inhabited again. One of the examples is Isaiah 13. I'll just read a couple verses, 19 and 20. It says, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch their tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. Jeremiah 51, another prophecy regarding the city of Babylon, 25 and 26. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain who destroys all the earth says the Lord, and I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks and make you a burnt mountain. They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. Why do I bring this up? Well, because Babylon as a city was not destroyed for hundreds of years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. In fact, even Saddam Hussein, when he was alive and in power, he attempted to rebuild the city of Babylon because it's located in, in Iraq. So I don't know, 50 or 20 miles away from Baghdad. So not only were the past prophecies regarding Babylon, the city, that they'd be, it would be complete and never to be inhabited again, but Babylon, uh, but also the, uh, the, the structure of the city would be sudden. Jeremiah 51 verse 8. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Well for her, take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. Well, the reality is, historically, Babylon, the city, continued for many years after its political downfall. So this destruction prophesied, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. That's my point. It must be in regard to a future city that will be rebuilt. Now, there's a lot of speculation over what is Babylon, the city. Is it, is it Rome? Is it New York? Is it, you know, all kinds of country, or cities that people name? I have no idea. But wherever that city is, or whichever that city that is, it's notable, we'll see this in, later on here in, verse, in chapter 18, that it's viewable from the ships at sea. So to me, it seems like it can't be the literal old city of Babylon, because that's in the heart of, of Iraq, which you can't see from the ocean, I'm assuming, unless you've got really high-powered binoculars or something. Um, so I don't think it's going to be rebuilt on the, on the ruins of the old city of Babylon. It's my take. I think it's going to be built somewhere, or maybe it already exists, but it'll eventually be the headquarters of that world economic system that, that Antichrist will rule over. And notice verse 9 and 10. It says, the kings of the earth will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of her torment. I mean, it's going to be literally destroyed. And it's going to be so bad that, that nobody's going to want to go there because of the destruction of the city, the physical destruction of the city. They're going to stand away at a distance for fear of it. Well, that was the first group that mourned it, the, the kings of the earth. The next group that mourns or laments her destruction are the merchants of the earth. Look at verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. Why? Because of the loss of life. Because of the destruction of this beautiful city. No. 
The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Isn't that telling? That's all that they care about. Our business is gone. We've lost our profits. Very interesting, very telling. The heart of mankind when we get greed, we get focused on materialism. Look at the merchandise, verse 12. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble. I had to stop at this point. And I had struggled for a little while with this verse because it talks about the sale of ivory. And right now, you can't, you can't transport or buy ivory. It's, it's a protected commodity. And, and so I'm like, well, wait a minute. It says here that they'll be able to buy, you know, the, the, obviously they're selling ivory. So what does that mean? Could it mean that the laws will be revised at that point during the tribulation? Or maybe they won't even care about conservation anymore? You know what I think is most likely the case? People will be so stinking rich, and there'll be so many stinking rich people, that they want to kind of stand out. So they want to buy ivory. And money talks. And so I think it's just like, hey, I've got some ivory. You know, so there's going to be a market, probably a black market, I'm guessing, for it. Verse 13, cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. Chariots is another interesting word here that, that John uses. John did not use the Greek word harma, which means a two-wheeled chariot. If you think of Ben-Hur, right? The one that gets pulled by the horses. Instead, he used the word Greek word reda, which means a carriage which, with four wheels for traveling in. I mean, how would John describe an automobile in that day? A reda. It's got four wheels and a bumper. What's that song? <laughs> All right. So chariots, very fascinating. And then the, the last part of that is just, uh, to me, it, it's very somber. Bodies and souls of men. That's a commodity. Bodies and souls of men. When it refers to bodies of men, it's probably referring to the slave trade. You know, slavery actually exists today. We don't see it in our country probably, but it's worldwide. Slavery is still occurring. But here's some interesting facts. Human trafficking today is a $32 billion industry. Human trafficking. It probably includes pornography. In 2010, $3 million was spent on internet porn every second in the United States. 2010. Also in 2010, uh, $13 billion was spent every year on pornography. $97 $97 billion worldwide. That was in 2010. So it probably includes pornography, human trafficking, prostitution, probably illicit drugs and al- alcohol. I mean, it's going to be rampant during the tribulation when people are trying to drown their sorrows. Or they have money to, to, to burn, basically. But it goes even beyond that. The souls of men. Isn't that sad? You think of how many men and women 
have forsaken their spouses or their children in pursuit of the almighty buck? How many people have compromised their values and their ethics for the almighty buck? Compromise their souls. What does it gain a man if he, if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Another interesting thing, if you take, a li- take this list of merchandise at face value, you'll notice it's all luxury items. Arguably, not necessities. I think this speaks of the incredible wealth during the tribulation, and it speaks of the pursuit of materialism during uh, the tribulation. Verse 14. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, torment, excuse me, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. You notice there in verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. The King James Version means the word longed for is lusted after. The love of money, the pursuit of materialism becomes the focus, the motivation, the drive, and the idol of so many people. It says, The kings of the earth stood at a distance for fear of her torment. Early we read that. Also here, the second group of people that, are, that will lament the merchants. Why? Because they no longer have a market to sell. And then finally, the last group to mourn are the shipmasters. They will wail, uh, watch and wail from a distance. That speaks of the global trade that will be occurring at that time. And it also speaks of the type of destruction. Again, it's very likely going to be a supernatural destruction, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. I've heard some commentators say, well, it may be an, an atomic you know, nuclear you know, attack or something like that. God doesn't need an atomic bomb to judge the earth. You know, he doesn't need man's technology. That's my take. Um, <clears throat> besides, in verse 8, it says, And she will be utterly, uh, utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. I think it's God who's supernaturally destroying, just like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> I don't think he needed a nuclear weapon for Sodom and Gomorrah either. While there's fear and weeping and lamenting on earth over the destruction of the world's economic system. Look at verse 20. (coughs) Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Last week, we looked at spiritual Babylon chapter 17 and talked about how many believers, how many true believers down through the ages were murdered because they dared to not toe the line of papal Rome. 
So many people were murdered. How many missionaries were murdered for daring to help deliver weak and defenseless people who are victims of corrupt systems worldwide? How many of God's people have been murdered for standing in the way of the world system? Well, in heaven, they're to rejoice the destruction of Babylon. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1.6, it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. When God destroys Babylon, it will be a righteous destruction, a righteous judgment on a wicked system. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your judgments were the great, excuse me, for your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. You'll notice a repeated word over and over and over again, and it's the word anymore. It speaks of the finality of God's judgment at this point. Verse 22, the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. And all I can think of is the music industry, the entertainment industry. You know, Jimmy Kimmel's not going to come on that night and have a little monologue, a little funny thing to say about the destruction of Babylon. There's going to be no more of that. It's finally, that's it. It's done. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. No more industry. And I think what's interesting too, the food industry. You look at our, I mean, we're part of it, so it's, you know, we're in this system. But, you know, I think about it. How many people worldwide are just scrambling for a bowl of rice or whatever they came to eat? And we've got shows where it's a contest of making the most tasty dish. And I, I believe, I like watching those shows, okay? Chef Ramsay, I, minus the, uh, the bloop, 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 I was here. I, I like watching the show sometimes. But what have we come to? We've got so much abundance of everything. It's kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah, if you think about it. We've got an abundance of food. We've got an abundance of idleness, some of us more than others. And we're, we're prideful. We're, we're so... No more industry. There'll be no more restaurants either. <laughs> the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. Remember the fifth bold judgment in chapter 16. His kingdom became full of darkness. I think it's more than just that. I think it'll be no more internet either. I think it'll also be the pursuit of knowledge will be done at that point. The voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. You know, marriage... Of course, as God intended it, it's already being eroded right now in our, in our very day and age, right? To the point, it doesn't mean a whole lot anymore to a whole lot of people. Well, think about this. Remember this. The church will have been raptured at this point. Spiritual Babylon, the, 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 the ones that go through all the motions and yet they don't have a relationship with the Lord, that'll be destroyed at this time. 
just worship of Antichrist alone will exist. Marriage will probably be completely irrelevant at this time in the Great Tribulation. Nobody's going to be getting married anymore. But also, I think it also speaks of the joy. There's not going to be any more joy at this point. Verse 24, In her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. So not only the blood of the prophets and saints, but all who were slain on the earth. Think of all the people that have been killed for financial gain. You know, the mafia. Uh, Think of the people with the drug cartels. I mean, there's so much bloodshed going on right now with the drug cartels. Multiple millions slain by Stalin and the communist economic system model. You know, how many people have been murdered because of that? It says, For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. You know, not only the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, a preview to the destruction of Babylon, but so was the city of Tyre. If you got my email earlier this week, I said, read Ezekiel 26 and 27. It speaks about Tyre. Tyre was a Phoenician city. It's just north of Israel and what we know now as Lebanon. Um, they were The Phoenicians were a seafaring people. They were the world trade people of their day. They were extremely, fabulously wealthy, opulently wealthy in their day. And they trusted in their wealth and their security. Tyre was actually, there were two cities of Tyre. There was one that was based on land, and then there was one right off coast of the city, the land-based on an island, and it was an impregnable island with a wall built all around it. It was only accessible from sea, and it was heavily fortified. So the people, the Phoenicians that lived in Tyre, they, they had all the wealth, and they had nothing to fear from because they were, they were impregnable, basically, from attack. Well, when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came through and Nebuchadnezzar was conquering all the kingdoms around there, he did manage to destroy the land-based city of Tyre. But he didn't have a navy. So he couldn't get out to the island to destroy the island city of Tyre. So it's like, you know, I'm proud to be a Phoenician. You know, you can think of the pride, man. We, we survived the Babylonian invasion. Can you imagine how their hearts were lifted up at this point? And nothing's going to stop us now. Well, many, many years later, Alexander the Great, but he didn't have a navy either. So when they saw Alexander the Great coming through, they're like, we survived Babylonian invasion. Well, let's make up T-shirts. I'm going to survive. I survived, you know, Alexander the Great. Well, Alexander was a great thinker. <laughs> and, he, you know, I could, I could just picture this. The Phoenicians are watching the, you know, the Greeks coming through there. And they're, 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 they're in there, you know, on their walls, you know, on the, on the island looking like, what's going on? Well, I don't know. He's like putting rocks in the water. I don't know. He's, he's got all these people. They're just dumping all the ruins of old city on, onto, onto the water. What are they doing? Well, after a while, it became apparent. What Alexander was doing was he's building a causeway, a land bridge to the island of Tyre. He literally did that. Wide enough for his chariots to get across. And he eventually did that. And he destroyed, he attacked the city of Tyre and destroyed it. Part of that city, part of there's an island just to the south of it that's now underwater. And what's fascinating is Ezekiel 26, verses 4 and 5. This is a prophecy about the destruction of Tyre. It says, And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. 
I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become a plunder for the nations. My point in sharing this with you is it's a reality to this day. They have, you can see the landmass that's, you can, you know, they know exactly where the causeway was that Alexander built to get out to the land portion, or the island, except, I guess, island of Tyre. My point in this, God's word's true. Tyre was destroyed. You know, Babylon, the economic system during the Great Tribulation, they're going to think nothing can stop us now. We've finally got world peace. Israel's at peace with their neighbors. We've got one world economic system. Everybody's in, you know, in sync with everybody else. What can stop us now? And yet, verse 2, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Why is it repeated twice? First of all, it's because it's assured it will happen. And the second reason is because the destruction will be swift. They're not going to have an economic decline. They're not going to have a recession or a slump. You know, it's going to be swift in one day. In fact, in one hour, Babylon is going to be destroyed. Can you imagine? You got your smartphone. You know, some of you, do you, some of you get, get news, you know, get like a news flash that comes on your phone? Can you imagine you're, you, you get this news flash one day and, and it's like, boo, it's a, it's, a, it's a news thing, a news article. And uh, it says, you look at it and you go, wait a minute, today's Monday and it's dated for two days from now, Wednesday. That's kind of weird. And then you start reading the, the, the news article and, and it says, Google stock just tanked. I looked it up. Google stock is under another company's name, but it went. It's at right now. It's at one thousand dollars and eighty-six cents a share, which is fascinating to me. But you can imagine getting this news thing, dated Wednesday. It's Monday, okay? So two days later, Google stock is tanking. It's going to be worth nothing on Wednesday. In one day, now imagine you're a stockholder and you're heavily invested in Google stock. You're now privy to news before it happens. What would you do? I know what I would do. <laughs> Sell. <laughs> Sell. <laughs> Unload. Divest immediately. Here's another picture. Maybe because you can, I, can't, I can't fathom stock. I don't do stock. You know. Imagine you live in Hawaii right now on the big island. And your home is right on the beautiful slopes of Mount Kilauea. And uh, you're in the process of putting on an addition on your house, man. You finally got some money, came into some little portion of money, you sold some Google stock, you got all this money, and you're building this nice addition. And you find out that a week from now, your home is going to be in the path of that lava flow. It's going to be destroyed. Let me ask you this. If you knew that, would you continue doing the addition to that house? You'd be a fool to, wouldn't you? You'd be a fool to, to invest in that. <coughs> Well, we know that Babylon, both spiritual and economic Babylon, is going down. We know it, okay? That's newsflash. <laughs> Babylon is going to be destroyed. It's going to be judged by God. Nothing that you and I are building or investing in this world system is going to last. So if we know that, why are we still investing our hearts, our money, our time in something we know is going to be judged by God? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't be financially wise, okay? I'm not even saying 
don't save. I think it's important to save. I think it's important to invest. I think it's important to carry insurance. I mean, it's right. My sister's a sister-in-law's insurance. If you need insurance, talk to her after church. <laughs> it's important. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What am I saying? Look at that verse. It says, for by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit called it sorcery. That word is pharmakeia. It's the word for drugs, basically. And sorcery and witchcraft are connected. But it's the drug side of this I think is fascinating. I was reading an article today, they, or a couple days ago, they, they busted some people that had, I don't know how many hundreds of pounds of fentanyl. I guess I didn't know fentanyl apparently is the most addictive or the strongest opiate. And they had enough fentanyl in this truck that was coming from somewhere. I think it was in Oklahoma where they busted them. To, to, it could kill 26 million people, I guess. That's how potent this stuff is. That's the strongest opiate, as far as I know, that exists. But listen, the love of money and the pursuit of materialism, that's even stronger than fentanyl. It's, it's a drug. It's a drug. And people are addicted to it. So I'm not saying don't be part of the money. You know, don't invest. Don't. I'm not even saying it's it's wrong to have a profit. No, it's, it's fine. If you're, that's God bless you. If you're doing well financially, and if you're able to buy a nice car, God bless you. God bless you. But don't get hooked on it. That's what I'm saying. The world's hooked on Babylon. Why are we as Christians? Because we know we have the news flash. We know what's going to happen. The seed that was sown among the thorns. Remember the thorns grew up and choked the grain? That was also part of that seed and sower parable. There was grain that was growing in that parable. In other words, what Jesus was referring to, there were Christians. People had received the word and they were starting to grow in their faith. But pretty soon the cares, riches, and pleasures of life choked out that fruit, that spiritual fruit in their lives. And they brought no fruit to maturity. That's what I'm talking about. Remember Lot's wife? You know, God delivered her as well as Lot and his, his daughters from Sodom. She's the one that turned back and looked at Sodom and she became a pillar of salt. So God was able to deliver her out of Sodom, but he wasn't able to deliver Sodom out of her. She looked back longingly at it and was destroyed as, as a result. I want to end with this passage here. Paul wrote this, and I think it's just such an important thing for us to remember. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 10. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich... See, it's a desire to be rich and fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's what we're talking about this morning. We know Babylon's going down. We need to, we need to divest. 
Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you in your heart, listen to him. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. And may I have the worship team come on up. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, your word this morning. And Lord, to be completely honest, Lord, I, I know I've been seduced by the by the allure of, of wealth and by the allure of materialism and things, uh, the, the, uh, the acquiring of things. Lord, I, I just pray this morning, Lord, that this might be just a wake-up call for each of us to realize that it's a drug. And, and Lord, Christians can get hooked on drugs too. And we as Christians, we can get we can get seduced by the sorcery of the Babylonian system, of the world system. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would be stewards of those things that you've blessed us with. Lord, that we would not lose our focus. Lord, that we would not sacrifice our relationship with you for the sake of more and more and more. Lord, Lord I, I, I know that you've spoken to our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, I just pray that we as a church, we as individuals, we as heads of households, we as, as people that are employers or employees, Lord, Lord, that we would take to heart what your Spirit is saying to your church this morning. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to not be allured by those things that are not going to, they're going to be burned, they're going to be destroyed. Help us to keep the right focus, Lord. I thank you and I bless you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.